Merry Christmas. My name is Brad Watson, and this is the Saturate Podcast's Advent devotional called Preparing Room. This is a 25-day reflective journey through the themes of Advent, as well as the themes of being the people God called us to be, so I hope that you will enjoy it. Throughout this season, we've been pointing people to several of our Advent resources, and you can definitely check those out at saturatetheworld.com. As we approach the end of this series, and as we approach the end of this year, I want to point out another resource that I think can help people as they take what God has done in their lives in Advent and in Christmas, and then begin looking forward into the next year. It's called our Annual Planning Hopes and Dreams Guide. This helps you sit back and reflect on what has happened in the year that was, and also dream and plan towards the year ahead as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus. So I hope that you're able to take some time and look into that as well. And with that, let's dive into today's reflection. Christmas is one of those strange times you sing a lot. It's also an odd time when you sing words in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and all sorts of other language, like Melikliki Laka is the Hawaiian way to say Merry Christmas to you. And unless you're from Hawaii, that's a strange thing to be singing. But one of my favorites is the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I've noticed most of the people I sing with really love the refrain, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel. I apologize for my singing. But what are these words really about? What does Emmanuel mean and what does it have to do with joy? In Matthew's gospel, Joseph receives a dream about the birth of Jesus. An angel comes to him and tells him the whole situation. But then he also tells him that Joseph should call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And in this, the angel quotes Isaiah 7. We've read a lot of Isaiah in this reflection series. But this one is the strangest quotation of Isaiah. The Old Testament can be so weird. Isaiah 7 centers around the king of Judah, Ahaz, and a massive geopolitical drama. The most powerful army known in human history was bearing down on three small kingdoms in Palestine, Syria, Israel, and Judah. Syria and Israel became allies, and they wanted to force Judah, that's Ahaz's kingdom, to join in. And if he wouldn't join their alliance, they would invade and crush him. And then they would take that kingdom, Judah, as their very own. And then they would form the alliance, having already conquered Ahaz. And so King Ahaz, though, is stuck considering his next move. Maybe he should join the big dog in the region and, and gain the spoils after the dust settles against the other two. Or maybe he is stuck and he has to join an alliance. But then, what good is it to be king if other kingdoms are dictating your life? And how faithful can his people be to their calling as God's people if they're a conquered people? Ahaz is left wondering, who can I align myself with? Who will be with me while the powers around me build, while the walls come crushing in, while the chaos erupts? Who should I align my life and my destiny with? And then Isaiah comes to the king saying, be careful, be quiet, 
Do not fear. Do not let your heart grow faint. Isaiah goes on to say to Ahaz, these kingdoms will fail and you will be okay. But Isaiah ends his whole pep talk and it's poetic and it's powerful, but he ends his pep talk with these words. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Isaiah says what God through his prophets have always said, trust God, have faith. Remain in an alliance with God who established your life, your kingdom, your reign. God is trustworthy. He's the most trustworthy one. He's the most powerful one. Isaiah says what all the the prophets say. Don't play politics. Don't play with fear. God says then directly to Ahaz, trust me. I'm establishing your people. I made your kingdom. You have nothing apart from me. Trust that I am with you in this. Ahaz is wondering what kingdom should he align himself with? And God tells him, trust me, I'm with you in this. And then God says through Isaiah, ask me for a sign as high as the heavens or as deep as hell. And I will give you that sign so that you can trust me. Ahaz responds in this moment, I will not. There's a law that says not to give God a test. He refuses the sign. He refuses the call to trust. And just a side note here in the story, I wonder how often we use religion or rules or paradigms to avoid God and do what we want and continue on in our despair. I wonder how many times we use spiritual jargon or spiritual language or even the rules of missional community to continue where we are without having to trust God. Ahaz really didn't want a sign from God. Often we're more comfortable with the world in which God isn't involved, in which we play politics, in which we navigate the world and the powers of this world. God replies to Ahaz's rejection of a sign this way. He says, I'll give you a sign anyway, and it will be a baby boy who will refuse evil and do what is good. He will know the good. Those other kingdoms will vanish. Oh, and the boy's name will be God with us or Emmanuel, because God will be with you. God is moving toward you. And this is the part that the angel quotes to Joseph. And there will be a virgin who will give birth to a baby and his name shall be Emmanuel. And that will be a sign to you. See, God says, my sign will be from heaven and it will be God with you. But my sign will also go as low as to break the gates of hell. God will not only reach his arm into the world to bring justice and loving kindness, he will become the embodiment of justice, hope, peace, and loving kindness. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Tim Keller writes, the incarnation is how God becomes soft. God's sign is to make himself touchable, vulnerable, killable. Emmanuel, God with us from the womb to the cradle to the tomb. God in the mess with us. It's experiencing it, knowing it. Emmanuel is essentially what I think we want from our deepest relationships and friendships 
and then especially from God. We want God to know and to understand and to be present in this, whatever it is, to be with us. And that is what God is saying. I've got you. I'm with you. I'm for you. For us, the sign is not in the words of a prophet, but in the child born the Savior. It also joins two things that we often separate, this whole Isaiah 7 story. It joins trust and joy into one singular reality, God with us. In God's presence, trust overflows. God in our midst evokes joy. When Jesus commissions his disciples, he ends by saying, And lo, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. God with us from this day and forevermore. God with us as we live our ordinary lives. God with us in community. God with us on mission. He fills all things. He joins all things together in his presence. Joy and trust overflows. So how do we welcome God with us as we look to see who should we align ourselves with in our lives? Who will be there for us? Who will be with us? As we struggle to understand how to navigate the Christian life, God says very simply, to be a disciple is to have me with you from this time forth and forevermore. And in his presence, there's joy and trust. Emmanuel, rejoice. Before you go, I just want to say a few things about a new resource that's come out recently called The Gospel Basics for Kids. It's an amazing resource that we hope that you'll check out. It's for preschool-aged children, and it guides these kids through discussions and story and music and crafts and illustrations and coloring sheets, all to introduce these young children to the important discipleship uh, realities of gospel, identity, rhythms, and essentially the way that we teach and train and disciple adults, we're doing it for kids because our children are not the disciples of the future, they're the disciples of today. And so go to saturatetheworld.com or amazon.com to learn more about the gospel basics for kids and get your copy. Hey.